Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, June 2nd. We begin with a look at the Black Lives Matter protests on our side of the border. We get the latest from Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Next, we continue our coverage on the racially fueled demonstrations sweeping many major American cities. We'll get some insight from Mount Royal University Professor of Political Science, Dwayne Bratt. Then we look at the issue of racism from a local angle. We speak with a Calgarian on her personal experience living in our city as a woman of color. With many Calgary businesses now open, at least partially, we'll get an update from the Calgary Chamber on how the process is going for local businesses. We'll speak with Sandy Blally, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. And finally, during these trying times, we could all use a little distraction. We let our fingers do the walking and dial up the local Joy for All phone line. 608 on the morning news and protests as a result of the murder of George Floyd south of the border spilled over to our nation in the past couple of days in many major Canadian cities. With details, we have Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. And I, and I guess the, the bottom line is we had protests, but not so much riots when it came to our Canadian cities over the past uh, 24 to 48 hours, Mercedes. Yeah, it's it's been a very different scale and a very different nature of the protests. And well, we've seen a lot of protests and uh, protesters being encouraged by public health authorities to wear masks, for instance, and keep six feet of distance. We haven't seen uh, the kind of violence that we have in the United States. We haven't seen looting. We haven't seen uh, the police being as aggressive towards protesters in Canada as the police in some American cities have been. So it's been a very different scene. Vocal protests... Uh, uh, but peaceful protests here in Canada. And, of course, the scale as well has not been as large as it has been in the United States. Uh, understandably, the protesters are raising concerns about racism and the treatment um, of Canadians who are of colour by police here as well. But it's not at the same level as the United States, which is where the actual death of Mr. Floyd, of course, occurred. So uh, it's been a different scene. But that's not to say that Canadians are not watching the U.S., I think, with... Uh, deep concern mm-hmm. um, and certainly with, with a lot of compassion for those who are out there protesting and like many Americans, a lot of frustration with those who are out there looting. And even yesterday with the uh, Prime Minister speaking out saying anti-black racism is certainly alive in Canada and Jagmeet Singh calling for some reforms as well. Yeah, Jagmeet Singh speaking out about it. And also um, Ahmed Hussain, who is the minister in the cabinet. Uh, he was doing immigration for a long time. He's moved to another file now. But he spoke out both in the media and on Twitter saying that he still gets followed around in stores. He's a cabinet minister. Um, and he's saying, look, it's still happening to me. I still feel uncomfortable sometimes when there's a police car nearby. Um, so it very much exists here in Canada, too. And I think maybe sometimes Canadians can be a little bit uh, self-congratulatory that we're not the United mm-hmm. States, but important reminders that here in Canada there are issues too. And, and Jagmeet Singh also saying he wants, not related to the police issue obviously, but he would like the data related to COVID-19 on a racial basis released because he believes that minority populations are suffering disproportionately from COVID-19. That's something that's been the case in the United States as well. Let's switch gears and focus on the West Block from Sunday Uh, and a story that you were at the forefront of, and that is long-term care uh, centers in our nation and uh, the care of seniors after that uh, damning report by Canadian military personnel. Where are we now? Are we starting to see the road towards some changes? And do we have any updates on on what we might uh, see moving ahead? 
Well, I think there's still a lot of questions about how you fix things. Everyone seems to agree they need to be fixed. Um, but what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And the challenge there is that a lot of that, the answer is money. It's hiring more people. It's hiring uh, people who are, are being given proper training. Uh, but there's also, of course, as well, the accountability aspect of more inspections, consequences for the owners of homes that um, are flagrantly ignoring the requirements of the residents. And in speaking to the military sources that I have, one of the things that they were frustrated with after the coverage all came out is they said, look, uh, yeah, there are some bad apples who are in there working, but a lot of those frontline staff can't go home to their family. They're struggling. There's not enough of them. The management of these homes is simply not providing what's necessary. So where is that money going to come from? I didn't know this before I started covering this story, but the money in the Canada Health Act that goes from the federal government to the provinces cannot be used for long-term care. So all that money in the federal transfers, not towards those kinds of homes. Is that something the federal government changes? Do they start adding money to that? This is a provincial jurisdiction. But all the provinces are saying post-COVID-19, they have no money. So I think we still have a question about how it gets fixed. Even though there are uh, calls for change across the country, nobody seems to have come up with the solution on this one yet. And it's a really important solution because the dignity of our elderly is hugely important. Uh, and as one gerontologist who had on the show, said, look, it's not just about how you would want a loved one to be treated. We're all, if we survive, going to live and get old. So think about not only how you think your loved one should be treated, but how you yourself would like to be treated. Because there's a very good chance you will end up in one of these facilities at some point. So true. And no sense from the PM at this point with any kind of announcement or any kind of strategy going forward yet? Not that I have an indication of. I mean, keep in mind, though, it is it is really a provincial area. And so I think he's talking to the provinces. And I know that he had a call with the premiers about it and discussed this. Uh, but it took them a long time to even bring in that wage hike. This could be billions and billions of dollars um, in a government that has already spent billions of dollars. So I think they have to figure out the breakdown of how much money is it going to take. Um, I don't even know if they will be willing on either government to put in enough money to actually fix it. Um, And then on top of that, you have to negotiate how much is coming from the provinces and how much is coming from the Fed. So I think in the short term, they have this stopgap of the military and they're using that. But the reality is the military is saying they cannot and do not want to stay in these homes for an extended period of time. That is not their job. It is not what they are trained to be doing. Um, And as we start to think more and more about the forest fires and floods that are coming, having the military in the homes becomes even more untenable because these are the same people who go out and deal with natural disasters. We are seeing uh, different uh, strategies and different dates for reopening across the entire nation, different provinces. And now we're hearing Ontario uh, still teetering on extending uh, another 30 days of the lockdown. And uh, you had the chance to talk to Toronto Mayor John Tory, who uh, very much is still taking it seriously. Yeah, it's, uh, I can tell you as someone in Ontario who would really, really, really like to get my hair cut, um, <laughs> like many Ontarians, uh, I think you, you are able to go and do that in Alberta and a number of other provinces. But uh, we did see spikes here as we started to reopen the infamous pictures out of Trinity Bellwood. Uh, Mayor John Tory did bring in the circles that we've seen in so many other parks around the world that are basically chalk on grass saying, like, this is six feet apart. If you're on this circle, you have to sit inside of it. You cannot be spilling out of it. You can't have somebody closer than the next circle over. Uh, But there is a lot of concern that with all the protests that have been happening, and this is true in the United States too, that we're going to see another spike in COVID-19. And there have been big protests 
in Toronto, and that's because they haven't had people six feet apart and wearing masks. Um, people are chanting slogans that, of course, is expelling potentially um, virus from their mouth if they have COVID-19 and don't know it. Um, and this is a situation where people are very passionately protesting for something that they deeply, deeply hold as a belief. Um, so you can't really say just don't go out and protest, but they are trying to encourage people to be as safe as possible. And actually, Dr. Theresa Tam, who is the head public health officer for Canada here in Ottawa, took some criticism last night because she was encouraging people to try to protest virtually. And that offended a lot of the people who wanted to go out and protest. She said, look, this is a really important thing. But the reality is if, if people are not six feet apart as well or wearing a mask, uh, there is a risk of transmission and a potential other spike. And that is something that authorities are worried about on both sides of the border. No doubt. Thank you so much for joining us, Mercedes. And I won't tell you that I actually have a, an appointment to get my hair cut today. <laughs> I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you'll get to experience that soon as well. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Thanks. That's Mercedes Stevenson, Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 908 on the morning news. Protesters are taking to the streets across the USA with violence flaring in pockets of largely peaceful demonstrations fueled by the killings of black people at the hands of police. We're joined by Mount Royal University political science professor Dwayne Bratt with some insight. Good morning, Dwayne. Good morning, Andrew. We uh, spoke earlier with Reggie Cicchini, who is, of course, the Global News Washington correspondent about how unprecedented the whole situation is. And you have to draw the parallel to the 60s and the protests that uh, the uh, United States, uh, the American people were witness to back then, period. Oh, that's absolutely correct. And that's a bit before my lifetime. Um, you know, my there has been localized protests over uh, racial justice, you know, Rodney King was probably the most famous or infamous, but that was focused in one city uh, on one event. This has ranged right across the country. And so what that tells me is that it wasn't just the death of George Floyd and it wasn't just the death of others in, in Louisville. It's actually triggering all sorts of other activity, and, and that's what we're seeing. And uh, for when you listen to the mayors and the police chiefs initially, they all talk that it was being done by uh, outside agitators. That's tough to make the case for when it's occurring right across the country, when it's occurring in Los Angeles and Salt Lake City and Dallas and Louisville and Minneapolis and Washington and New York, um, especially with some of the travel bans down, it's tough to make it as uh, outside agitators. It's a really, really ugly situation. It got a lot worse last night. Dwayne, what's the, what is the mindset? Because I think it's something that we just almost can't really understand here in Canada. I mean, we see, you know, demonstrations across our country in support of, of those demonstrating in the States, but the, the looting and the rioting, we just don't really even kind of get that whole set. No, and I mean, we've, we've got our own racial problems in the in this country, sure. uh, particularly with the disproportionate number of, of Indigenous Canadians uh, that are incarcerated that have been killed by police, but not to the degree of the United States. And you have to add in the issue of guns. When you look at, forget about the military, the police equipment, uh, the militarization of the police forces, now, part of that is selling surplus military equipment at a uh, cost reduction 
to police forces, but the other is the range of guns that already exist in the society. And, you know, the, the legacy of Jim Crow, the legacy of slavery that doesn't exist here. Um, it's the Ameri- This is American exceptionalism, but in a very, very negative way. Obviously, these protesters, we see the violence, we see the windows being smashed. They, they want their voices to be heard. And we don't know how this will, will come to an end and hopefully a peaceful resolution. But when you look at President Donald Trump, his stance has been, we will call in the military to those states who can't handle things and put a lid on things themselves. We have not heard words of uh, unification from President Donald Trump. Uh, let's, let's talk because, about words. Because everything is about Donald Trump. Uh, and that's the fundamental problem. And he did not cause the death of George Floyd. But his rhetoric prior to Floyd may have contributed to that when he talked about police roughing up people as they go into uh, cruisers. You know, when he spent his campaign denigrating minorities, uh, his attacks on the Central Park Five in the 1980s, his birtherism against President Obama. Uh, and then you watch his performance after, and it is putting gasoline on a fire. And last night's stunt, I think it's going to go down in, in history in a very negative way. When you watch the clips of the peaceful demonstrators in Lafayette Square, and then all of a sudden the troops come in and they start uh, tear gassing them and using rubber bullets, and you're trying to figure out why. And then you then Trump comes on, and there's that juxtaposed visuals of him speaking in the Rose Garden with the the smoke and the flares that are occurring, you know, hundreds of meters away, and you're trying to figure out why, and then it's all so he can walk across the street, pose in front of a church, hold up a Bible, and walk back. Really? I mean, that's, that does not help. That That is just no. going to keep the bloodshed going. And from what we understand, it was a, uh, you know, you, the, he was he was ticked off that someone leaked out. They had rushed him to a bunker the night before. He didn't want to look weak, so instead he made a show of force. And we had heard too that the the bishop of the church that he posed in front of was in that crowd of peaceful protesters and knew nothing about what was about to happen. Yeah, and and several of the priests were um, were gassed. Uh, I heard the bishop uh, last night. I, I was actually retweeting some of her comments when she came on the air at CNN, and she was just shaking with, with anger, um, saying, you know, um, this is a man who never comes to her church and is now using it as a, as a prop. Um, Joe Biden gave a very powerful address this morning and said, you know, uh, maybe Trump should open the Bible and read some of it instead of brandishing it. Boom. Wow, incredible. Dwayne, what would it look like? What would it mean? And what would be going through the minds of uh, the U.S. men and women in the military if they have to go in to the to the United States uh, and are, are sent into these states? What would that look like? So, you know, um, you, you hear uh, uh, country specialists uh, who do Middle Eastern politics or Asian politics, and it's always a question that they raise when they send the military in in those countries. How do they respond to the people of their own their own citizenry. Um, the fact that we're even asking that question in the United States shows how far along this has gone. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that Rodney King, this has surpassed Rodney King is not just the, the scale uh, of the cities uh, or even how long the riots are going. 
it is the response of the White House. And and Trump appears that he's going to try to pull a playbook out of, out of Richard Nixon and the 68 campaign about running as the law and order president. Um, two very fundamental differences is the demographics of the United States have changed in 68. It's no longer 90% white. It's about 70% white. The other is Nixon wasn't the incumbent in 1968. It's tough to run as the law and order president when you're the president when there is disorder going on. And then you've got the coronavirus, and then you've got unemployment. I mean, this was just a, a recipe for, for disaster when you've got that many people um, with no other place to go. Dwayne, what's it going to take to bring Americans back together? I I don't know. Typically, um, there's there's got to be healing and, and methods uh, from above. Um that's not happening. You're getting pockets of it. You're getting pockets of it at the city level. You're getting pockets of it at the uh, at the police level, but you're not getting it from uh, the White House. And the other usually is time and just let the, the fire burn itself out. But because of the economic situation and the coronavirus situation, I expect that this won't fire itself out for a while. Wow. Incredible. It's, uh, it's horrific to watch. It's it. horrific to watch. It, is. it really is. It is. Well, thank you so much for your insight this morning, Dwayne. We appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Sue. That is Mount Royal University political science professor Dwayne Bratt. 709 now on your Tuesday morning. And when you're white, it's impossible to truly understand the feelings of fear, anger, and frustration that the black community in the U.S. and here in Canada as well is feeling. To get a different perspective, we're joined this morning by Sabrina Naz. We've had her on the show before as a teacher at Decidedly Jazz, as a volunteer at Carafest. Now we're talking to her as a friend who's also a woman of color. Hi, Sabrina. Hello, good morning. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I think it's really important that we talk and that we listen. And we're curious, you know, for you, how do you feel when you watch what's happening right now in the United States? Right. Um, definitely watching with a a heavy heart. Uh, just before we begin, I, I really want to extend my condolences to the families of Ahmed Aubrey and George Floyd. Um because watching that footage is is um, extremely traumatizing mm-hmm. and unfortunate. Um, my experiences growing up in Calgary is as diverse as my background. Um, sure, I have experienced racial slurs, less than pleasant experiences during my school days surrounding race with classmates and teachers. Um, however, you know, you cannot compare to to what we have seen in the last. Uh, days here with George Floyd. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, l- leading the days with, with a heavy heart. Um, it, myself, with with my background of, of being mixed race, I, you know, I've been blessed with uh, 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 an amazing little brother who is full black and an amazing little sister who is full white and um, checking in with both of them on their day-to-day experiences uh, in growing up in Calgary is is vastly different and I think that that right there brings us to the conversations that we're having um, today surrounding race and especially surrounding race um, in Calgary. you know, in our conversation, in our warm-up conversations, too, we were talking about how it's different 
what we experience um, in day-to-day things. For instance, if you're pulled over by the cops in Calgary, you know, um, I can definitely confirm that what my little sister and my father, who are full white, right, what they're experiencing when they're pulled over is is different than, you know, the seconds of of, of nerve and and wondering how how is this really going to go uh, in comparison to my little brother and my mother who are full black, yeah. um, right? And so this is why we are engaging in this dialogue, uh, not only in the States, but of course here in Canada too. Well, in, in the States, we're seeing, you know, protests becoming riots, becoming right. violent. Uh, what is the difference uh, between Canadians and uh, the Americans? Is it the sheer population? Um, is it uh, mm-hmm. more years of frustration? Uh, why do you think that, uh, you know, we do say it exists on our side of the border, but the protests, if you saw Calgary's yesterday, uh, certainly a, a peaceful prote- uh, protest. Right. And, you know, I I wish I had the, the perfect answer as to why um, it is so different and why these protests, these rallies are demonstrated so differently. Um, I, I do not have the, the answer that that can truly encompass the difference, but um, the passion and the fury behind showing up for, for justice and for peace is the same. Um, one could say, you know, there are more agitators in a crowd in one area and there are less in the other. So, therefore, the outcome of a, of a protest looks vastly different. But I do know that why people show up is because they are calling on justice and they are calling on better law enforcement mm-hmm. and equality, right? And, you know, I, I obviously you have hope that what's happening south of the border will bring about change, maybe finally. But do you think that it will? Do you think this is, you know, maybe finally something will be done and things will change? Oh, of course, I have to lead with hope. Um, you know, if you want to see change in your community, if you want to see change in your family and in your life personally, you have to show up and you have to speak on it and call on it. So definitely my my response to that is yes, I, I do believe that change will come of it. I also feel like change will come of um, discussing the importance of kindness and discussing and educating on the power and beauty of diversity, mm. uh, you know, talking with our families and our communities about peace and how hate does divide, talking about how what hate looks like and how to oppose it in everyday life. Like these are things that um, these people showing up in these protests are talking about. Like this is all a part of the dialogue, right? Um, Talking about how fear and ignorance are dangerous. Like these, these are very dangerous things and, and, and it's, clear to what they can do in a community and how they can separate and divide a community, how practicing good discernment is important, how judging a person by their character and not the color of their skin. You know, these are things that we're bringing with us in these, um, in these gatherings. 
I don't know if you heard uh, John Cornish speaking yesterday. He was uh, on Global TV. We had him on the radio as well yesterday afternoon. And, and he, you know, obviously a CFL player living here uh-huh. in Calgary, businessman. And he'd never experienced racism in Calgary until last week, if you can believe it, when someone pulled over. He was walking down the street with his wife and someone pulled over and said, you know, get out of our neighborhood kind of thing. So right. it obviously exists here and we do need to talk about it. And, and you know, we thank you for joining the conversation and, and maybe hopefully helping us move forward too. Thank you so much for opening up this dialogue and having me on this morning. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. That is Sabrina Naz joining us this morning, discussing, uh, you know, she she has worked at Carafest. Mm-hmm. She's worked at Decidedly Jazz. She's, you know, a, a leading member of the community, happens to be a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And when I spoke to her yesterday before, you know, we talked about her coming on and, and she was saying, you know, I hope one day we can just say she's a woman or a Calgarian yeah. and you don't have to have descriptors of any other kind. A Calgarian, we heard her experiences, quite passionate. And obviously we're focusing on the protest for Black Lives Matter. I believe that... You know, beyond that, and all lives matter because we have seen racism, whether it's the Chinese consulate, was it last week, week before with the spray paint, the JCC, the Jewish Community Center. We've talked to, uh, I think, Rabbi Matasoff about uh, that, uh, you know, strain of racism in our city. It does exist. We can't uh, pretend that it doesn't. Yes, we're not seeing the violence like we're seeing in the States. We don't have that population base. But I'm wondering if it's affected you or if you have seen racism actively in our city certainly send us a text 642 now and we're joined by global washington correspondent reggie Giacchini with the latest on the protests happening south of our border good morning reggie good morning thanks for joining us again today so last night uh, you know some peaceful protesters let's start with this part of it and then we can move into what happened later in the evening but peaceful protesters gassed and and cleared out of an area outside of the white house walk us through that was a really weird situation what happened there yesterday it was incredibly weird and it was incredibly tense uh, and, and it all started essentially when, when peaceful protesters were gathering exactly where I'm standing right now at the entrance to Lafayette Park. The difference right now is we have a tall fence that's now been erected uh, in front of those lower barricades to prevent anybody now from accessing the park. But we were standing there, but we could see dozens upon dozens of riot police uh, along with Secret Service personnel and Parks Police already donning a gas mask. So we understood that something was likely going to be taking place. Uh, and within a matter of months, moments without any kind of warning, riot police jumped the fence and really started rushing towards the crowd to break them up, pushing them off into different segments. We had mounted police on the other end of the park that were chasing protesters out of the area uh, using flashbangs, using tear gas, using pepper spray. It became an incredibly chaotic situation. Uh, It led to a very escalated moment where uh, the rioters and the protesters really started pushing back against these police. Uh, A number of journalists were caught up in the melee as well, uh, uh, being, uh, being injured and punched in the face by by these uh, by these law enforcement personnel and we found out later on that it was simply uh, an act to clear the park so the president could walk across the street uh, to have a photo op at the church and the president his message uh, continues to be the same not exactly let's unite but he wants to put a lid on the protests now threatening to send in military if states don't bring their protests under control how unprecedented is that reggie 
it's so unprecedented that there are only really three or four times that this has been used uh, in the last almost century. Uh, this this Insurrection Act, which allows for the military to work on domestic soil because there's already a current act called uh, Posse Comitatus that stops military from carrying out domestic law enforcement. But this Insurrection Act was used in the 1950s and 1960s to enhance civil rights by ending segregation. The military was brought in. They were brought in again in the early 1990s in an isolated situation for the Rodney King riots, but they haven't been used beyond that uh, outside of any kind of potential natural disaster. Uh, so the president right now is using an incredibly strong-armed approach, and he's facing pushback from governors right now, uh, both Republican and Democrat, who say that uh, uh, dealing with issues in their own states is up to them. It is up to them to deal with uh, the National Guard to try and bring some kind of civility. Uh, but this kind of this this really strong-arm approach from the president is facing pushback, even from members inside the White House, and it's unclear if even the Joint Chiefs uh, for the military would go along or if there would be some kind of revolt. This is a very tense situation that the president has put the country into right now. And Reggie, we were talking about this earlier this morning. Has there been any message at all of unity coming from Donald Trump? No, there hasn't. And in fact, his comments yesterday in the Rose Garden uh, only made things worse by fanning the flames, talking about how he wanted to be the law and order president while protecting the Second Amendment rights of people. And, you know, the Second Amendment right obviously is the right to bear arms and has nothing to do with why protesters are out right now. Protesters are out uh, in the memory of George Floyd, who died more than a week ago. And those kind of comments from the, uh, the, the, the comments on George Floyd were missing from the president yesterday. Instead of telling protesters that they did have a constitution right to be able to gather and protest and talk about this generational anger that has been built up inside of them. He looked past it, looked towards these factions of these protests that have been violent and have caused some kind of chaos and damage and simply focused on that, saying that he's going to put a stop to it no matter what it takes. Uh, taking off your reporter and your journalist cap for a second, give us some kind of an insight as to what it's like to go to sleep uh, in a city like Washington, D.C., knowing what is happening outside your window. I mean, you, you are obviously on top of the situation, but that feeling and, uh, and how secure it feels in a city with a state uh, that's uh, of uh, protest and riots that we're seeing. You know what? The last couple of nights, uh, you know, I've been in this city for protests before. I've been here for, for five years and I've seen cars lit on fire. I've seen protesters take over the streets, uh, not to this extent. And it, it, it just comes with a part of being in America. There is uh, an anger and there is that right to be out there and to be angry. But last night was the first night that it felt different because being uh, such a, a massive piece of federal property that Washington is, there already is a military presence that's been brought in. They were walking the streets last night uh, and we have military helicopters that are actively flying incredibly low over the streets right now that are snapping some tr uh, some tree branches uh, being used as a way to kind of uh, disperse additional crowds and it gave that moment of, of, of a feeling of you know what this doesn't really feel like the United States right now this feels like one of those uh, a country that you see on the news where you have a strong-armed military approach and there was a different air last night you know you went to bed understanding the military was here and you woke up the next morning not understanding what was going to be taking place and Reggie for your perspective is there any end in sight is there because I mean if you're not getting any messages of unity and, and everybody's feeling like it's so disjointed across the country how do you how do you stop what's happening 
this is this is going to have to be a top-down message that comes from the president. He has done nothing yet to unify any of, of the anger uh, that has been building up inside protesters. Uh, he has been very political, politicizing these protests and and drawing uh, you know comparisons of the far left and leaving out uh, you know issues with the far right. State leaders are really doing everything they can right now to be the voice of reason, uh, considering that's not coming from Washington. Even uh, in D.C. here, the mayor said that look, you know, you should be out there breaking glass, but this broken glass is a reflection of the broken system, and we can't forget that. So while there is no top-down level messaging right now, it is coming from state leaders, and they're really doing what they can to push back on the president and show that they are actively trying to work with these protesters to get the message across and try to change things. That's simply not happening at the White House. Thanks for your time, Reggie, and stay safe out there. Thanks. That is Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. It's 8-11 now, and a lot more Calgary businesses are phasing in their reopening plans with reaction from the business perspective. We're joined, as we do each week, by Sandeep Lally, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Good morning, Sandeep. Good morning. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting a little deeper in and heading towards the next phase, hopefully. Fingers crossed. We're still on track for it. Update from, uh, from the business people that you've been speaking with in the city, how they're feeling about things. Absolutely. The community, you know, there'll be more businesses that'll open this week for sure that didn't open last week when they were able to. Uh, It is really encouraging, though, as we've kind of come into this relaunch for consumers to get comfortable with what the safety measures were that were taken. So restaurants, you know, were very flexible with patio seating, uh, takeaway options, the cleaning procedures, you know, every 10 minutes going into the restrooms and disinfecting tables. People took notice to that, and so that's so the customer confidence is you know starting to build in that regard. The piece that did sort of show up was you know revenue was lower than they expected, so I think it's going to take a bit more of that you know people sharing word of mouth of you know you know we went there it was good it, they did this this and this you know and so I think that's why it was lower and also you know the weather didn't help because a lot of people are right now wanting to just sit outside as opposed to inside an establishment. Sandy from the chamber uh, you know we like to hear the good news stories most definitely but have you heard of any permanent closures businesses that shut down during the pandemic that might not be opening their doors anymore? We're watching that very closely and we think that if that's to occur, it's going to occur through the last week of June. You know, if, if, as we said, uh, since this got going, you know, June seemed to be a very critical month for businesses to say, you know, I have enough reserve to carry me through perhaps March and April. I know what the federal funding is. And now it's the sense of, okay, can I make a go of it? So that's why this revenue number is important to go is, is are we hitting the target even with the haircut or the discount that I thought I was going to take? And if not, then maybe I don't make it. Maybe I do close for, say, the summer or a year or two. But we'll see that happen here at the towards the end of June. Sandeep, you know, we talked about phases and any word on the next phase. Are you hearing that businesses are ready and anxious to continue this? It, it, obviously, if, as we look at the numbers of sickness and death, it, it continues to to be on the decline. So are we ready and businesses ready for, for phase two? Well, that's really critical is to keep abreast of those numbers. So pu- from a public health perspective, nothing has changed. And we're not meeting our testing goals, so we got to keep an eye on that number as well to make sure that, you know, the government is 
being very open and saying, you know, 16,000 tests per day, you know, they're available to you. And we're not hitting those. And I mean, that could be a lack of people just not feeling it or not taking it up. So they'll watch that on the relaunch for sure, like everybody else. But there is a, a sentiment of, okay, you know, I wasn't the first one, but now let's see and, and learning from each other. And then June 19th is going to come before we know it. And mm-hmm. so nobody wants to walk backwards to, you know, partial closures and other things. So it's going to be very cautious towards June 19th to make sure that the revenue numbers, like the businesses were viable, the ones that opened on uh, May 25th and May 14th, and then say, how did you do? And, you know, should I dip my toe in the water? And actually, uh, tomorrow, we're hosting a webinar with Todd Hirsch. Uh, He's the chief economist for ATV, and he's going to talk about those kinds of things. Like, what is summer going to look like in our city? What can businesses expect in terms of demand and things like that and consumer confidence as they reopen? Because it's very important for business owners to say, yes, I can do this, make my employees comfortable, but will I be able to have some free cash flow and have a viable business? Mm-hmm. And so that's really where it hinges on, should it, should I go for phase two or not? And medically, we may be ready to go, but physically, are we ready to go um, to gain some traction with my business. Sandy, what are you hearing from business owners who have been looking for government assistance in the form of financial help with the, the several programs that have been released? Are they all able to access it, or is that something that you're helping businesses with if they're having a hard time finding the uh, you know programs they're uh, open to be using? Absolutely, we are helping the businesses. We continue to talk to our business uh, members and our business uh, community every day. So we have a team dedicated to that because we want businesses to be able to utilize the funding that is available uh, to the time that it is. But still, a few are not qualifying. And then others are now, they're like, I've qualified, it's waiting. But I'm really dreading October because all of these were deferred, you know, deferred till the yeah. fall. Well, I don't have any more revenue in the fall. So how how is that going to work? How are we... Is there any government funding to ease me back into a business cycle that's, you know, 18 months uh, away in order to get back to stability? Well, we'll continue this discussion with you in a week's time. Thank you for joining us and and continuing to give us updates. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much for the opportunity. That's Sandy Blally, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber, and it's calgarychamber.com. 719, and uh, there's a week for that, Sue. There's a week for everything, and this is a, a great one. Seniors Week. And isn't it timely that right now, you know, through this COVID-19 pandemic, we are focusing on the seniors and the, the care homes mm-hmm. and, and it is Seniors Week and it's just a great reminder that, uh, you know, we need to come together and, and remember our older generation and, and make sure that down the down the line in the future, we treat them right and we look after them the way that we should look after them. So, uh, you know, they're, uh, the Minister of Seniors and Housing, Josephine Pond, declaring mm-hmm. Seniors Week here in Alberta. Maybe this is a, a good, just a reminder, pick up the phone, call your, your parents if they're older, your grandparents. And when we're able to, again, get back in and, and start visiting and maybe volunteering at a senior's home. And why not? So many of these seniors, as we've heard uh, from some of the doctors we spoke with, we spoke with one, uh, I think, last week who said, we understand that, you know, you've got to keep the lines of communication open for the families and some don't even have families in the city. Mm-hmm. So that's where the healthcare care professional, professionals are stepping in. So do what you can and maybe 
ask for a list at some of these seniors' homes of those who don't get many visitors. Send a letter in during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I know you have relatives who live up in Jasper. Yes. And um, things are starting to open up there as well. We know Banff. Now we're we're invited. We're invited back to Banff. We were told for some time, just stay away. But we're, we're invited back. Stores are opening. Restaurants are opening. Yeah. And hotels are opening in Banff. So it's time to get out and enjoy, spend our money again, and help bring uh, the economies back in all these towns. But Jasper also, limited visitor access. You can't camp. Yes. No camping. Limited access. Basic services resume at Jasper National Park. So day use stuff is still available uh, and backcountry camping I believe is now open as well. Not in Banff, I know that. No, in yeah, Jasper, in Jasper though. Um, so, you know, just check ahead if you're thinking of, of heading into the mountains. It's it's a great way to uh, relieve some of the stress that's going on in our world these days. Are you days. saying spa? I don't know if the spas are open soon. I know that's what you're angling for. but I don't think they are, in, in, in case of Banff, <laughs> In the case of Banff and Canmore, if you want, the hotels are opening. So you can yeah. stay overnight uh, just uh, close to in our backyard, just not setting up the tent at this point. But go to the restaurants. We seem to be uh, loving controversy these days. And art in Calgary is another one of those very controversial ever end? things and programs for sure. If you want to have some input on the direction of public art yep. in in our city. Uh, looks like the city is asking for input as they move forward with plans to transition their city-run program to an external organization. So uh, you've got until June 30th. There's an online survey through calgary.ca and you can uh, have your say there. There's also some online sessions June 16, 17, and 18, if you want to get a little deeper into the future of public artwork in the city. I think the art is very important. We don't have the money to spend on it right now, but hopefully when things get better, there's there's some money in that pot once again, but I think we need to uh, look at it and perhaps do it a little better. For me, it's the accessibility, and I know it's not uh, you know public funded by us, but the big a metal head outside of the uh, in Canada. Uh, that's a cool piece, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The boat, uh, boat house. Yep. That's awesome. People have pictures of it. Yeah, right? you can climb in it. The kids can wander and around that's great. it. It's the Beaufort Towers that bother me because I was I didn't know yeah. where they were situated. I saw pictures of them. I don't even mind them. I get it. Art is in the eye of the beholder. Yep. But when you have to drive by at 80K and say, hey, kids, that, that, did you that, see, did you what see was those it? rusty pipes over What was there? it? It's in the middle of a highway. Yeah. That's my issue. It's we, not it, one of my favorite pieces. But it should sure. be accessible. And that certainly is not, are you going to pull over the car? No. 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 I don't think so. But if you want to have your say, get involved, go online, go to some of the forums. And, you know, if, if you feel strongly about it, this is the time. Make, Make your voice difference. heard. Yeah. yeah.